0: Good morning. Well, it's my joy to bring God's word to you this morning. If you want to turn in your Bibles and follow along, uh, the passage is in Luke, Luke, Book of Luke, chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. And you can find that as well right there on your bulletin. Luke 9, verses 10 through 17. Hear God's word. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And that he took them, and then he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them, and spoke to them of the kingdom of God, and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came to him, and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, "You give them something to eat." They said, "We have no more than 5 loaves and 2 fish, unless we are going unless we are to go and buy food for all these people." For there were about 5000 men. And he said to his disciples, "Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each." And they did so. And had them sit, all sit down. And taking the 5 loaves and the 2 fish, he looked up to heaven, And set a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set them before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. Please pray with me. Our Father, we come before you and we need to hear you this morning by your Holy Spirit. We need you to speak. Point us to Jesus. We need to see him. Lord, please help the preacher this morning and help the listener. Open our eyes and open our ears that we may see what is here for us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we come to our third meal with Jesus in our sermon series, Meals with Jesus. And this meal is a special meal. This meal is a significant meal. It appears in all four Gospels. And we should know that's a significant thing. Every Gospel wants us to focus in on what happens here. But we are very familiar with this story if we've grown up in the church at all. Even if we haven't grown up in the church, we may have heard something about Jesus multiplying bread and fish and feeding the multitudes. And it is that familiarity with the story that may keep us from seeing the significance of it. It is a significant story, and we need to know what it means. It's not just a magic trick. It's not just meant to impress in a kind of superficial way. This is a unique meal with Jesus, Because at this meal, Jesus plays the host. Jesus is the host. Jesus is the one who provides the meal. Normally, Jesus is going to someone's house, right? But here he is providing the meal. So what does this miracle have to say to us today? We can see clearly, right on a surface reading, that it is about provision, right? It's a great miracle of provision, And all of us know and feel that provision is kind of an important thing, right? Provision's important. It's a big concern of ours. We spend a lot of our energy, a lot of our anxiety, and time focused and concerned about provision. Will I have enough? Will I have enough to survive? It's a very normal concern. A very natural concern. Will I have enough to thrive? It's a very natural concern, and it's not a bad desire in and of itself. But like all human, fallen human desires, it's a desire that can be easily corrupted, become idolatrous. Some of the most evil acts in history have been perpetuated under the name of provision. Under the guise of provision. Think about Hitler's Germany. We just need some living space. Provision. We just need what we need. Corrupted desire at the expense of others. I need to get what I need to get. So there's grasping. The grasping of provision is where the good desire of provision is corrupted. So how do we ensure that our desire for provision is not corrupt and idolatrous? How can we we stem that tide in our hearts? Because we all need provision. We all want it. In order to do that, we need to see something and learn something about Jesus. We need to learn three things about Jesus. We need to see who Jesus is for us. We need to see what his attitude, what his heart is like toward us. And we need to see what he has provided for us. Okay? So, if you have your bulletin, everything on there is wrong. The points on your bulletin are not the points I just gave you. These are the points if you're a note taker. The identity of Jesus, point one. Who is Jesus? The character of Jesus. What is he like toward us and fallen, sinful, broken humanity? And third, the provision of Jesus. What is it that Jesus provides for this sinful and broken humanity? So let's look and consider the identity of Jesus. And this miracle is intended to show us who Jesus is. That is its primary point. We know this because of the way Luke constructs his narrative. Right? And the, the, the main goal, the main thing it's driving at is to show us that Jesus is God's Messiah. Messiah. Christ. And Messiah is just the Hebrew word for Christ. It means the same thing. It essentially means king. The promised Old te- the, the, the promise of the Old Testament that there would be a king to come who would sit on the throne of David and establish the kingdom of God on the earth. This Messiah, King, Christ, would act as a faithful shepherd as David was a shepherd himself. He would be like David. And he would. this shepherd would lead the people of God into their kingdom everlasting rest, into their inheritance. This shepherd, this Messiah would secure provision for God's people, secure blessing. That was the role of the king, was to secure blessing for the people. The role of a shepherd was to lead his people into their rest, and into their fullness. So, how does Luke make this clear that this is the point of the miracle? What, we, what we're to get from it is Notice who Jesus is? Well, he constructs this sandwich. One author calls it a literary sandwich. You can see that right there in your Bible if you just look at verses 7 through 9. And then verses 18 through 21. Both of those sections have people who are asking, the question comes up in both of those sections, who is Jesus? In verses 7 through 9, Herod is asking that question. And he has, you know, some possible answers as he's inquiring. Maybe it's John raised from the dead. Oh, no, that can't be because I just beheaded that guy. Maybe he's Elijah because I know, you know, the Bible says Elijah never really died. He was taken up, so maybe he's come back. It's Elijah returning. That's, that would be weird, but who knows? Maybe one of the other prophets resurrected. They're, he's grasping at possible solutions to figure out who this Jesus is because of what he's doing. And then we see in verses 18 through 21, Jesus himself asks, who do the crowds say that I am? And they give the same responses. But then Peter pipes up and gives the right response. You are God's Messiah. You are the Christ of God. That's what it's all been driving at. That's what the miracle actually is intended to lead Peter to make that confession. And then that is confirmed. Peter's confession is confirmed by God himself. You see that in your Bibles in in verses 9, in chapter 9, verses 28 through 36? Look at the mountain of transfiguration. God himself now pipes in and says, This is my son. Listen to him. This is my son, the beloved or the chosen one. Listen to him. And you know, when we think of son, we immediately think divinity. But son also refers to kingship. It should cause our minds to go back to Psalm 2, right? The nations are raging. The kings of the earth are jockeying for position. The Herods of this world are trying to get on top one of the other and are trying to establish their power and their supremacy. And what does it say? Yahweh laughs. I have established my king. I have established my king, and he will inherit the nations. Kiss the sun. Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the King, the Shepherd King. And that's what this all is driving at. That's what the miracle is meant to portray. And how does it portray it? Well, we know that the text portrays Jesus as a great prophet. He fulfills the office of prophet. Just on a surface reading, you can see Jesus prov- providing bread for people in the wilderness. That looks a lot like Moses, right? Moses provided bread by God's power right, for his people in the wilderness, Exodus 16. It also looks a lot like Elijah. Elijah did a similar miracle. Elijah extended the widow's oil when she was starving in a time of famine. It never ran out. That's miraculous provision. And then Elisha, who has the spirit of Elijah upon him, also performs a miracle of multiplying bread. And so Jesus is definitely at least saying, I'm among the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, so you better listen to what I have to say. It confirms, as the Father says, listen to him, his word bringing new revelation, fuller revelation of who God is and what he requires in the way of salvation. He ought to be listened to. But more than that, Jesus in his acting, as in in what he does in this miracle, he portrays himself as the good shepherd, as the true Messiah. He does what the greater David was foretold would do. He fulfills the prophecy of Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, we read it a couple weeks ago. And it says there God says, My sheep were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. And then in verse 23, we hear this The Lord says, I will set up over them one shepherd my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. And so we read in this, we see in this miracle, Jesus feeding the multitudes. And Jesus is self-consciously fulfilling this. The, The other accounts actually Make this even more clear. In Mark, Mark says that when Jesus told the crowds to sit down, he gives us this little detail that they sat down on the green grass. Why would he say that? Because it would recall that psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And then Mark says that when Jesus actually saw the crowd coming to him, he makes this explicit Referring to Ezekiel 34, he says his heart went out to him because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He, Jesus is acting as the, as the Davidic king, the Messiah, shepherd king. He is the one appointed by God who will gather up the scattered people of God, will save his people and feed them and lead them into blessing and fullness. He's the only one who can do this. He's the chosen one. And Jesus proves that that is who he is by what he does. And so we see this all from basically the context, right? Jesus is fulfilling the role, yes, of a prophet, but even more so as the Messiah King. That's what he's doing. He's the one who can bring us into fullness. He's the only one who can secure provision that our hearts are longing for. He's the Messiah. So that's the first thing we learn. The second thing we see from this passage is the character of Jesus. What is Jesus like toward us? What is his attitude toward sinful humanity? And to get this, we need to dive back into the details of the text, of the story. At this point in Jesus' ministry, Jesus' ministry is kind of blowing up. It's a good time to be a disciple right now. Jesus is blowing people's minds with his healing power. Jesus is confronting the religious establishment. He's he's connecting with the people. And all this anticipation is building around Jesus. And it says in verse 10, the first verse in our passage, that the disciples return and told him what they had done. Well, they're returning from a mission trip Jesus just sent them out on in verses 1 through 6. And he They go out and they invoke Jesus' name and they do the same stuff Jesus was doing themselves when Jesus is not even with them. Can you imagine? Jesus delegates his authority to them and they heal in the same way that he healed and cast out demons like he did. Can you imagine the power of God running through your fingertips like this? the disciples had to have been stoked out of their minds, right? I mean, this is exciting stuff. Not to mention, they're going all throughout Israel, and everyone's hearing about Jesus. That's why Herod knows about him in the first place and starts questioning. And so this is ministry expansion time, right? We're psyched. We need a ministry philosophy, the disciples are thinking. We're now the ones doing the work. Jesus can be like the CEO guy. He can oversee. We'll do the ministry stuff. We'll get like an org chart. We'll build the ministry. We'll create a motto. All right? We can, we can do this kind of thing today. We're kind of doing it right now. At GBC. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> we see those new signs in the building? Good job, Matt. Love it. No, seriously, this is an exciting time to be a disciple. An exciting time. But this is also a time where the disciples are completely exhausted, right? They've just went on a mission trip. They've just preached the gospel continually. They did a medical mission, and they're traveling on foot from town to town. They need a sabbatical. So Mark says, Jesus knows they don't even have time to eat because the people are coming to them. And yeah, they're excited, but they're like falling asleep on their feet. So Jesus pulls them away. He's shepherding them already. But then we see in Matthew another layer here. Because Matthew says Jesus pulled away because he learned that Herod had beheaded his cousin, John the Baptist. So, We see here intense exhaustion and deep grief and excitement. It's a weird feeling happening. It's a lot. And Jesus knows what this is like to experience all this. He knows what it's like to experience grief, heart sickness, to be exhausted. And he says, you know, this is legit. We should go away. The crowd can wait for now. So he, he does this. He takes the disciples away, but the but he, you know, these people will not let him go. They won't they don't get the hint. Right? Normally when a person gets in a boat and leaves, they don't want they want time, right, away. But they run around the lake to see him, to meet him on the other side. So imagine the disciples feeling as they look out and see this crowd just coming in the distance right when they're about to take a nap. I think you mothers in the crowd here might know what this is like. I just and my wife just had our third child and I get I see this almost every day. Every day. And you love your children, but sometimes you just need a break, right? You just need time away to yourself. And you know that feeling when you finally sit down, you finally pull away, or the kid finally goes to sleep. And you're like, ah, oh, tea, quiet, and the baby cries. And then, you know, the, the, the teenager walks in, or whatever it may be. This is what the disciples are feeling. But probably even on a, on a higher level. Who knows? I don't know, mothers, It's pretty high. it's a pretty high level. But Jesus... Jesus has a love for this people that extends even beyond the natural love that a mother has for her children. That's what we see what Jesus is like here. You have to put yourself there to see just the beauty of Jesus' character when it says he welcomed them. I mean, we could easily read over that. But he, he opened his arms wide to them. He flung open the double doors as host and said, come into my space. Right, Because the wilderness was his home. He didn't have a place to lay his head. This was where he went to be with his father to get away, to restore his soul. And the people are coming to him, uninvited. This isn't just one invited, uninvited guest. This is a party of people. Say, we're going to have a barbecue at your house now. And so Jesus is not annoyed with them. He has compassion on them, actually. Mark says... His gut went out to them. He actually felt care for them. And so we see here Jesus is the most hospitable person who's ever walked the face of this earth. There was no sense of obligation in Jesus. Jesus didn't, he didn't turn out the lights and try to hide from the people. Right? Hide behind the trees. He didn't do that. He welcomed them into his space. They weren't too much for him. So, this morning, I want to ask you, what do you think Jesus' heart is like toward you this morning? What's his attitude like toward your coming this morning, your approach? Or throughout your week, what do you think Jesus is like when you go about your week and then seek to return and maybe have a time of prayer after you've spent yourself at work, or whatever it may be, or with the kids, or whatever. What, what do you feel like he is like, then? Is he rolling his eyes? Is he ready to cast you away? Do you feel like he's, he's you know, shooing you off? That is not the heart of Jesus. He's the most hospitable person who ever walked the face of this earth. He welcomes you the broken, and the needy. These people were needy. That's why they ran around the lake. They had issues. They had problems. They needed to have Jesus touch them and heal them. And Jesus knew that, and he welcomes them. That's what Jesus is like. That's what the Messiah is like. That's what the King is like. He longs to gather up his broken flock. He longs to heal our brokenness. He longs to to protect us from the accuser. He longs to dine with us and he longs to feed us from the bounty of his table. And that's what Jesus does in this miracle. That leads us to our third point, the provision of Jesus. What is it that Jesus provides? How does he provide for sinful and broken humanity? Look with me at verses 12 and 13. Now the day began to wear away And the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and the countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. Now, it might be easy to overlook something important here. The people are already being fed by Jesus. Can you see what's happening? The people come to Jesus needing healing. That's what brought them around the lake. But why are they still with Jesus? Why are they still with Jesus? They're with Jesus because of his words. right? Matthew says, I believe it's Matthew, I have my notes here. Mark says that Jesus was teaching the disciples many things, the people. He was teaching the people many things, and that's why the day was wearing away. It's a long sermon. But the people were eating it up. That people didn't want to go. Not because just he was just healing them and providing material stuff. He was feeding them with his very words. And they didn't want to let that go. They didn't want to go away. They weren't even thinking about their stomachs. That's irresponsible, right? They should have been thinking. They had a long way to go. They weren't leaving him for his word. And so he's already feeding them. Doesn't this remind you of the story of Mary and Martha, if you're familiar with the story? How Martha, they have Jesus over to the house, another meal with Jesus, and Martha is distracted with much prep, right? She's preparing the meal, the physical meal. But what's Mary doing? She's sitting at Jesus' feet. She's taking in his words. And Jesus says, she has chosen the good portion. She chose the main course. So Jesus' words are already feeding the people, their souls. But Jesus goes on to take care of their bodies. So he calls the disciples to feed them. Can you imagine this? That Jesus says, You give them something to eat. Now, this is like five thousand people. Can you so an auditorium, a mega church auditorium, perhaps? This is this is how I think maybe full with full of people. And then there's one lunchbox from one of the kids in Sunday school. That's what they have. That's what the disciples bring to Jesus. Five loaves, two fish. This is a big ask for Jesus to ask the disciples to do this, even though they've, all, they've been out doing miracles for this whole time, and now they feel helpless. This is too much. We're not just fixing broken stuff. This is like creation stuff. We have to bring out food that doesn't exist. Now it's hard to know if Jesus is seriously wanting them to do something about this. Probably not. But Jesus is knows what he's going to do. This isn't a problem for Jesus. Jesus simply has them go, you know, puts them in different groups and he basically has them sit down, banquet style. Outside, he has the guests take their seat, and as a good host, he takes the little lunchbox and he prays over it. He blesses it. Thank you for the food we're about to eat, Father. Something maybe to that effect. And verse 16, he says, Taking the loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, he said a blessing over them, and he broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples, and set them before the crowd. They all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over, what was picked up, 12 baskets broken pieces. The food just kept coming. Isn't it amazing how the gospel writer Luke describes this miracle? It's like, we want to know what it looked like. He's like, I don't know what it looked like. It just happened. He just kept tearing pieces off. And it just kept coming. Right? It's like, and that's the only thing you can say about this. It's an amazing story of provision. But What, we should ask, is this intended to tell us, to really teach us? What's this miracle to, what are we to get from this? Is this miracle meant to teach us that Jesus will make sure that our pantries are full all the time? Is it really meant to teach us that Christians will never experience material poverty of any kind? Is this miracle primarily intended to teach us about God's material provision? What do you think? No. But it's a qualified no. It's yes and no. Because it is a sign of God's provision materially. He cares for these bodies that are hungry. He doesn't let them go starving. And in this way, He images—he—he he perfectly images His Father. Because His Father has been doing this continually. Providing, providing, providing. We read it in Psalm 145. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. And so Jesus, identifying with the creator and sustainer of all, feeds the multitude indiscriminately, generously. He doesn't just feed those that have faith. He doesn't just feed those that are his special ones. right? There could have been people in that crowd who didn't really like Jesus, perhaps. Who knows? There could have been Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles, clean or unclean. Everyone in that crowd got food from Jesus. So Jesus identifies with his Father. By providing food for bodies. He didn't just speak words. He provided food. He gave. And so this should encourage our hearts. And it should strengthen our faith to know God will provide for us material, materially. Look what he can do. And yet, though we affirm this, we have to say this is not the primary point of this miracle. The primary point of this miracle is to show us something about the gospel is to teach us the gospel, to teach us about Jesus and what he came to do and be for us. Jesus himself said after this miracle in Luke 12, life is more than material food. And when the people wanted a repeat of this miracle, John says in John, Jesus says in John 6, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And so what this miracle is really meant to do is to be a living parable, A living picture that the the disciples would look back on after Jesus has died and after he was raised and they would see it new. They'd be like, that's showing us something. That's teaching us something about what Jesus did on the cross. It's all about the cross. That's why Matthew and John focus so much attention on the bread. Even Luke does. Do you notice how the fish kind of like disappears from view at the very end? It says he broke the loaves and gave it to them. Where'd the fish go? Well, the loaves are primary in their attention because they're seeing the connection here between the loaves and the body of Christ that would be broken for his people and the Lord's Supper. That's why Mark actually describes the blessing and the breaking and the distributing in the exact same way that Jesus does that at the Lord's Supper, when he institutes the Supper. And even in this gospel, in Luke, immediately after Peter comes to his con- conclusion and says, You're the Messiah, Jesus says, Good answer. I'm going to the cross. You coming? It's all about the cross. This, at this point, the, the narrative in Luke breaks, and it's no longer cool to be a disciple. It's no longer easy. It's no longer fun. You're going to the cross. This is what Jesus is thinking about, I would think. I can't, I'm not going to say definitively what Jesus is thinking, but don't you think, you know, use your imagination. It's okay to do that with the Bible. What was Jesus thinking when he, you know, continued tearing pieces of bread off? He wasn't just mindlessly tearing pieces of bread off. What was he thinking about? He was thinking about how his flesh would be torn. He was thinking about how he'd be torn away from the Father to provide food, the eternal life kind of food for his people. And as he watched the crowd eat it, and as he watched their eyes light up, because they were practically starving, and the joy of that fullness that they experienced, what do you think he was thinking about? But the joy of redemption that he was purchasing for, for us. And as he watched the people spread out on the field, this massive crowd feasting together to to fullness, these poor people who probably never really got full ever, now they're full, they're happy. And he watched them feasting like this. What do you think he was thinking about? But the feast, the coming feast, the messianic feast, the feast of the kingdom of God. He says in Luke 13:29 that people will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. That was Jesus' goal. That's where we're going, Jesus says. That's what I'm showing you a picture of. But right now we're in the wilderness. Right now we're eating barley bread, poor people's bread. John makes that clear. It doesn't look impressive now, but it's food, life-giving food. And so, Jesus multiplied bread in the wilderness for a needy people to teach us the gospel. To give us a living picture of what the gospel means and who he is for us and what the cross has done, offers to us. That it is that Jesus provides the grace through his cross for what our souls really need. This is what our souls need. We need the grace of God. We need to be brought back to the Father. And so we feast upon Christ now, like this people feasted in the wilderness. And how do we do it? How do we feast on Christ and his merits, the merits of his cross? We feast upon Christ by feasting upon his word, by feasting upon the word of Christ, the word of the gospel. We take it in. This is the true bread. This is what will sustain us in this wilderness life. It doesn't look impressive to the world. The world's like, barley bread? Really? But this is the only bread in the wilderness. It's the only bread that can fill up an empty life with the life of God. And the 12 baskets testify to something. They testify that There's enough in Jesus for anyone who comes to him. John 6, in the context of this miracle, Jesus says, Whoever comes to me will not ever be cast out. No one who comes to Jesus' house for dinner gets turned away. No one who comes to Jesus' house for dinner leaves empty-handed, has an empty plate. Everyone who comes to Jesus is filled with the life of God, filled with the everlasting life bread that Jesus gives through his cross work. So, trust me, I'm concluding. I feel like I've gone long, but we're concluding now. This meal with Jesus, what is it really about? This meal with Jesus is meant to reveal who Jesus is, what he's like, and what he gives to us today. It's full of significance for us today. At this meal, Jesus proved himself to be the only one who can claim that office of Messiah, king, the ruler of all. Kids, the true true king of everyone and everywhere. If you know those books... Jesus is the true king. Jesus is the true shepherd. He cares for his people, body and soul. He gathers them up. He heals their brokenness. He feeds our bodies and souls with his words of eternal life. At this meal, Jesus revealed his kind and compassionate heart, his hospitable heart toward unworthy sinners. He welcomes us this morning into his table fellowship. He welcomes us and no one is turned away. And so if you're here this morning and you realize that you are broken, that you are needy, as these crowds realized they knew that they were, if you you know you have issues, if you know you're empty and that you're not right with your Creator, Jesus says, come come to the feast. Come to to my table. Eat what I have for you. Feast upon my sacrificial death for you and know that I am alive now and will bring you to the Father. I will continue to feed you. I will continue to nourish you in this wilderness world, in your wanderings, and bring you to that eternal feast. So at this meal, finally, Jesus gives us a living picture of that living picture of his redemption that he provided at the cross. And he freely offers it to us today. And whether you have never taken of that meal or whether you have tasted it for a long time, take it from him again today. Receive the bread of life again today and be nourished by his goodness, by his redeeming work. Lay hold on Christ and all that he is for you and all that he's done for you and be filled up again When we see that Jesus is who he is and all that he's done for us, we can then begin to stop our grasping ways. Grasping at provision, protecting what's ours, closing ourselves off. We can begin to be more like his hospitable heart and, and be more generous and more giving and more hospitable because we have enough. We have been given all we need in him and we know he will will sustain us. He will provide for us and he's given us himself. What more can he give us? What more could we want? The Lord is my shepherd. I don't don't have any want. And so as his flock today, confess again your deep poverty without him, but also confess his fullness. What you have in him is more than enough. And don't cease coming to him for his grace and his healing for your brokenness. Don't cease coming to him for the nourishment of your soul. And let us take great comfort in his hospitable heart toward us. Take comfort that he is compassionate toward you, toward unworthy sinners like us. From his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the beauty of Christ and the glory of the gospel. The good news that you have given us your son, Father. You've given us Christ to be true bread for our souls, for our empty lives, to fill us up and to bring us to you, to make us whole. Father, help us now to lay hold upon him again, to eat this bread, with a believing heart. In Jesus' name, amen.